Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick, and it is my goal to bring to you every single week and sometimes twice in a week just the best possible information for you to live your life at the highest level. And what does that mean? That means the healthiest, the most rested, the least stressed, the most love, cutting edge stuff that can help you be your absolute best and live your healthiest life. Uh, On that note, uh, if you have not sent me your email yet, send me your email and I will include you in the pilot program for the virtual biohacking assistant that we are developing. I'm working with some very talented, very, very cool people to help build something that will be of immense value to you. Uh, you can do it anonymously and in the beginning it will be for free so that you can curate the topics of information that you are most interested in for you. If you want to hack sleep, I'll show you how to do that based on great podcast guests, episodes, resources, as well as promo codes for products that you're going to love. If it's energy and vitality, we've got lots of ideas there. If it's for physical appearance, man, I want to direct you in the right place. I want to shorten the amount of time that it takes for you to get the information that's most relevant. So send me your email, sean at seanmccormick.com and just say, I'm in. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to say. And then you're entered into this pilot program. Again, I want to make this as fast as possible, and this is just the beginning. I, uh, this is the, the, the potential for using this incredible AI platform is to curate the most appropriate stuff for the things that you want to hack, and it's going to be awesome. So go ahead and send me your email. I'll reply. I always do. For those of you who have already emailed me, thank you. I, I, I want to deliver you cool stuff. I'm committed to helping people, and uh, I want to make it easy on you. So send me an email. This episode is brought to you by Blue Blocks. You know, I'm wearing right now my yellow tinted summer glow glasses because, well, I've been staring at the screen editing this podcast for the last, oh, you know, hour and a half and my eyes get tired. And in order to protect my eyes from the blue barrage of light that comes from screens, um, I, I wear my summer glow glasses. They've got a yellow tint. Uh, and for me, they, they keep me feeling focused without eye strain and also feel a little bit peppy because the, the yellow tint, just it's just really, really pleasurable on the eyes. They look cool. They're interesting. People always ask me questions when I, when I post pictures or when I go out public with them. Um, they're, they're dope frames. So go to blueblocks.com and use the code OPP for 15% off. And um, there's, no, there's no biohacking equipment quite like blue blocking glasses. And blue blocks are, they're awesome. They're the best in, in the world. I love them. This episode is also brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% open source supplements. And uh, you should get some vitamin D. You should get some vitamin D3 and some magnesium and vitamin C. And you're kind of basically set. From there, you're all set to go. Uh, go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP20 for 20% off your first online order. Uh, you might as well stock up because uh, winter is here and it's uh, it's it's easy to kind of backslide into lower levels of health so you can help yourself by getting more minerals, getting vitamin D and boosting your immune system with vitamin C. 
On today's episode, we're joined by Josh Clementi. Josh is the other co-founder for Levels, and this is the continuous glucose monitoring system that I used a couple of months ago. I had Dr. Casey Means a few episodes ago to talk about, you know, metabolism, metabolic health. We go, this is, there's, it's such a fast topic that there is so much more to cover, and we went really deep in this episode. We talk about uh, how his origin as a mechanical engineer for SpaceX uh, brought him in his systems thinking into uh, hacking and figuring out the best way to figure out why he was slumping so hard at work every day. So he found a continuous glucose monitor and uh, and generated this this incredible company that's that's getting wildly popular. He was inspired to get a continuous glucose monitor by reading Wired to Eat from Rob Wolf. We talk a little bit about uh, the effects of a metabolically dysfunctional society. All these gnarly health realities for people are are so tied to metabolic flexibility. And now we can know in real time what's going on for us. Um, We talk about using levels for physical performance, how you can increase your output uh, and how you can become uh, more metabolically flexible so that you can increase your level of energy output. We also talk a little bit about uh, REM sleep and how REM sleep can cause blood sugar uh, to rise. Uh, there's really early studies about that, but to me, that's just super fascinating. Uh, we talk about the difference between normal and pre-diabetic and diabetic me- metabolic range and how, you know, what is normal anymore? Normal is certainly not optimal. We talk about what those numbers are and how we can be thinking of them. Here are a couple of quotes. Alzheimer's dementia is now being called the third type diabetes. 90 million Americans are pre-diabetic and 90% of them don't know it. From the moment we're born, we're either degrading our metabolic control or we're improving it. This is a fascinating episode with someone who really, really knows their stuff. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Josh, uh, he's he's thought through a lot of this stuff and, and he's just got this incredible memory and really paints a picture for what's going on, in, in especially in this country. But metabolically, uh, how can we take control of our lives? How can we be more resilient? How can we live longer and with higher levels of health? And uh, a continuous glucose monitor is is cutting edge stuff. And I, I really enjoyed my experience with the app. So, um, there's like a wait list right now, but it's coming. I'm telling you in a couple of years, you're going to see this thing everywhere. There's going to be a lot of people wearing continuous glucose monitors. Okay. That's it for the preamble to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to bring you Josh Clementi. And we're here with Josh Clementi, the founder and president of levels. Josh, welcome to the optimal performance podcast. Thanks for having me on, Sean. I'm excited. When you were a young man, did you dream of starting a, a biomarker uh, tracking wearable company? I mean, was this like part of your your grand plan? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I, I my dreams were clouded with Skittles and candy and uh, and cookies and things of that nature. So, creating you know a product where you are intimately aware of of your blood blood sugar concentration in real time was was not on the horizon for no, me. I, I figured so. I, I figured I'd ask cuz cuz uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh it's it's such a unique product and it and it's such a I mean to 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 go from this is not available to anybody unless you have di- diabetes to now you know the, the the massive demand that this has already come in, in your guys initial phase I just I figured I'd be a jerk and, and ask a silly question like that. But I am yeah. curious, and I do have a typical first question that I ask people, which is, 
uh, what time is it where you are right now and what have you put into your body? So it is 5.45 p.m. Today I have had black coffee and a bowl, a Mexican bowl that was cauliflower rice and black beans and uh, some lettuce and some slow cooked pork, um, kind of one of my favorite meals. And it was uh, here at a spot called Dos Toros. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so let's, let's talk, let's talk about all the ins and outs of this thing. So, um, we really, I really enjoyed my first conversation, uh, with Dr. Casey means she, she really has such a broad, a broad perspective on metabolic health. Um, uh, it, it was really fascinating to hear, you know, the state of, of, of nutrition and metabolic wellness in, in North America and the fact that, you know, to, to make it, keep it really current, like metabolic flexibility is this sort of meta awareness. Like if you can understand how, what foods do what for you, it's going to make all the different aspects of your life better. Um, but I'm also curious about the motivation for starting, uh, for starting this company. You know, this, mm. there's this, you know, uh, a, a device that is, that is, you know, just underneath the skin that tracks your glucose levels in real time. Where did the idea come from to say, Hey, that shouldn't just be reserved for people with, with diabetes. Um, everybody should have this. Do you remember like when that, when that moment came yeah, for you? I do. It was the moment that I realized I was pre-diabetic because I used that device uh, huh. myself. It was, um, so the, the process was super personal of coming to the realization that this would be a good thing for society. And, um, I, I, my past is mechanical engineering. I worked on systems, life support systems at SpaceX. And so when I was there, I was reading some interesting research that got me thinking about how when astronauts, uh, start to go on long duration missions and they're very far away from medical care for a long period of time, uh, what are they going to have to do in order to stay healthy? You know, we all kind of rely on the system to catch us when we fall and we don't really care and we don't think about it until it happens. But um, thinking about, okay, what's the situation where you can't have it happen? There is no system to save you. And uh, I was reading some papers that talk about kind of some dietary implications, specifically the ketogenic diet and how it has these protective effects that have been demonstrated in certain environments. And anyway, I, I kind of came to a realization that I have only ever worked out as my means of staying healthy. Like I have only, I've gone to the gym and I put in hours of exercise, but beyond that, I have never taken a second thought about nutrition, about sleep, about stress control. These things have never, they, at this time, they had never crossed my mind as a, an area of interest for me. I dismissed them as, um, I, I just didn't think twice about them. You know, it seemed like a, a lot of kind of hokey pokey stuff that did, really didn't have much basis. But then I had this moment where I'm doing this research and I'm um, I'm realizing even though I am not, you know, out of shape in, in the sense that I'm not like overweight, I do not feel healthy. I every single day I am experiencing like a massive number of fatigue crash, like energy crashes. I would describe it as as strictly fatigue, um, just kind of dragging. No, you, you know, when you have that uh, that lack of um, drive, you're, you're just kind of just existing. That's where I was mentally and physically. And I, I had this out of body experience where I just realized that moment. I, I, I genuinely, mm -hmm. I was just like thinking about crawling under my desk and taking a nap in the middle of the day at 1 30 PM. And I was like, why is this happening to me? I, I work out, you know, I do the thing that you're supposed to do to be healthy. And I look 
pretty healthy from the outside. And my doctor tells me I look healthy and yet I feel so unhealthy. And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. And I started digging into research on metabolism, which is the, the, the series of processes our cells have to, to perform in order to create energy from our food and environment. Right. So I started like I'm having these fatigue issues. Fatigue is from lack of energy. I should figure out what's going on in the energy system. Uh, I started reading about blood sugar and I got a finger prick device where I stab my finger and I bleed a little bit on this strip. And then I check my glucose that way. And it was just a bunch of random numbers. And then I read a book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf, which um, described this new device called a continuous glucose monitor where you don't have to prick your finger. It's just continuously sending your blood, your sugar information to your phone. And I was like, I need that so I don't have to stab my finger anymore. And uh, my doctor said no. Uh, two or three other telehealth doctors also said no. Eventually, I got one um, through other means. And I put it on. And within two weeks, I had enough data to realize that I was either pre-diabetic or borderline pre-diabetic, depending on who you ask. And so um, that moment snapped me into reality. It, it was a realization that I had never, not only had I not been optimizing my lifestyle outside of the gym, I had been doing things every single day that were actively working against my goals of better health. Mm -hmm. So I was eating foods that I'm extremely intolerant to, causing massive blood sugar ir irregularity. I was sleeping very little, so four to six hours. Um, I was in a constantly sustained stress environment, either due to the workouts I was performing or the lack of sleep or the, in, the way that I was allowing my workplace to affect my, my stress levels. And so all of this was manifesting as prediabetes for me. Uh, blood sugar was very out of control. And so the realization that the, this device was uh, hard to access, so there was an accessibility issue, but there was also an actionability issue. I had to do all of this research to figure out what to do with it. It all came together that this is something more people should have access to. You know, mm -hmm. you, you can you can look healthy and be unhealthy, and I'm I'm kind of an example uh, of that. Wow! Oh my gosh! Well, I'm so glad that I asked that, and, and and I'm so glad that you explained it that way because there's probably a lot of people that are going, "Oh no, <laughs> that is me." And, mm. and of course the, the, the way that we work has changed in the last, uh, this year, it's just, uh, the, the, you know, working from home, uh, has, has changed everyone's paradigm. Yeah. A and I think it's even more important now because, um, you are, I think so many more people are now having to rely on themselves to motivate. They're having to right. rely on their own habits, their own rhythms, their work from home disciplines on how they stay on task and get stuff done. And when you're literally 20 feet away from the refrigerator and 10 feet away from the television, yep, it's super easy to just like, just be a slug all day. And hundred percent. And, and, and so for, for, for you having to like go to the dark web to, to buy, <laughs> to buy a, uh, a continuous glucose monitor because you're like, man, I, I really got to get to the bottom of this, you know, uh, I, that's incredible. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't something that I expected. I was just kind of out of a, an interest, a curiosity. I was just exploring around just, you know, what, what is what are my glucose numbers, expecting to find nothing. And I was not allowed to access them because, or I wasn't allowed to access this device because it was developed for the management of diabetes. And my physician said, you, you don't have diabetes. I'm looking at your your blood sugar numbers from your last blood panel, which had been several months prior. And they took a single data point and my blood sugar was in the normal range at that time. And so they said, you know, you're not diabetic. You don't need this. Well, the problem is, and I, I realized this once I had the continuous data, 
my blood sugar does dip into the normal range often, but it's during the day when I'm living my normal life and I'm eating the meals I'm eating and I'm stressed out of my mind going into the fifth meeting back to back of the day. And I've had, you know, half a gallon of coffee that day. My blood sugar at that time is what's dysfunctional. It's, it's not in the morning at 8am when I'm fasted and I've slept overnight and I haven't eaten anything. It's, it's what I'm doing each day, the decisions I'm making, which are decoupled from, uh, or, or my decision-making process is decoupled from the way that it affects me. So it's an, I'm operating on an open loop. I'm just making choices because it, the food tastes good or because, uh, you know, it, someone else ate it and said that it was healthy for me or I read it on the internet. And once I had the data and I saw each moment how I was being affected by the, the choices I made a few moments earlier, it closed the loop, right? The mm -hmm. actions I was I was taking cause reactions in my body and I could now see them. And so I was able to make very, very quickly, I was able to make better decisions. You know, it's like instead of flying blind, I now have some data points objective and I can improve my decision making going forward. And that process is how I it's how all of us approach most of our lives. You know, it's in almost every other part of our lives, except for our health and wellness, we're using data every single day, right. you know, whether it's finances or or uh, or politics or what have you, we have so many numbers that we throw around. We're so like sophisticated with our statistics. And then when it's like, okay, your retirement account is looking really good, but are you going to be alive to enjoy it? Mm -hmm. We can't answer that because we don't have any data about our, our own lives. Mm, that's a really great example. No, that's totally true. You, you, I, I definitely uh, a little bit later in our conversation, I want to talk about my experience with uh, with the with the platform because I really enjoyed it and awesome. uh, had some surprises. Um, had some things that were really, really compelling. Um, so I, I do want to get to that later. But before, there's just a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. Uh, number one is the the term normal range uh, of glucose, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I want to sort of dip into that a little bit. And then I also want to talk about the fact that um, the blood test that was basically restricting you from access to a continuous glucose monitor was based on a, a fasted blood test, uh, that you right. took in the morning. Cause they always ask you to fast in the morning before you do any sort of blood work. So, uh, can you talk, can you expand a little bit more about, um, what normal blood glucose is and, and versus like what is optimal and where were you? Do you remember what the number was when you, when, the, when you got that test? Yeah, the, the fasted number was something like 84. Um, that that's the number that I had received. And the way the ranges are developed is, um, they're basically bucketed, you know, so, so the American diabetes association, for example, they, they look at glucose measurements in the entirety of society and they basically draw this imaginary line and they say, if you're above this line, you're pre-diabetic. If you're below this line, you're normal, also known as healthy. And until you cross that line, you're healthy. And the moment that you cross it, now you're pre-diabetic. And then if you cross the next line, which is also arbitrarily drawn, now you're diabetic. And that's uh, you know a, a more uh, advanced form of metabolic dysfunction and breakdown. But the reality is that there is no line we are on a continuum of, of metabolic function. And from the moment we were born, we're continually degrading our metabolic control or we're improving it. And the, the way that that's happening is through the choices we're making. So our bodies are these giant chemistry sets and it's just chemicals. You introduce a chemical into your body, other chemicals are released to break it down and turn it into energy and other chemicals respond to those chemicals. And so you have these cascades of, of chemical reactions happening. And if you make a series of decisions over a long period of time that causes your 
your hormonal environment, your chemical environment to be imbalanced or to, to basically to, to veer off in one direction or another, you can, you can produce these really bad consequences. And so the classic one when it comes to glucose is insulin. So when you eat carbohydrates, they break down into sugar, which is called glucose. And then your body has to use this hormone called insulin to get the sugar out of your blood and into your cells. And so insulin is the hormone that responds directly to glucose. Now, if over time you're constantly elevating your glucose and your your body is constantly elevating insulin to take it to to respond to it, you can create this condition where your cells become numb to the ever increasing levels of insulin in your body. And this is known as insulin resistance. And when that happens, your body is losing the ability to control glucose. And so your glucose levels are increasing over time because your insulin responses are getting uh, more and more exaggerated. And so this situation, again, it's not a step function. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a binary switch that goes off. It's just gradually getting worse with time. And so we're either making choices that are allowing us to gradually move closer and closer to the imaginary line, or we're making choices that are maintaining or optimizing our health and moving us in a direction of better and better metabolic control. So as I mentioned before, uh, sorry for the tangent there, but no, uh, you know, I just want to define basically the, the existing theory is that everyone who is not yet diagnosed with metabolic dysfunction is normal. And so if you're in the normal range, you're good. And then once you cross over line number one, you're pre-diabetic. Then line number two, you're diabetic. Now, what we're doing is saying, actually, there's another segment, and it's called optimal. And it's the lowest category of risk. So people who have glucose levels that look like this have the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, Alzheimer's dementia, which is being called type 3 di diabetes. So mm. all of these chronic illnesses that get significantly worse the further you move towards prediabetes and diabetes, all of these we can reduce, we can minimize risk of by aiming for an optimal category of glucose control. And that is a very, very small subset of the normal range. So basically what's happening is we have historically said, as long as you're average, you're healthy. But if you look at the current statistics on uh, health in the United States, 88% of, of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. 90 million Americans are pre-diabetic and 90% of them don't know that they are pre-diabetic. Oh, um, you know, the numbers are terrifying. And so to just say that you're in the group of people who doesn't yet have diabetes does not say that you are healthy. And so what we're trying to do is demonstrate that there is a an optimal category and it's uh, it takes some some effort, some focus, effort and repetition. But that is the concept of metabolic fitness is mm -hmm. to not just be making choices that don't actively create diabetes. It's to do the opposite. It's to to, to make choices that prevent the long term likelihood of diabetes. And the place that that makes sense to people is when they can begin to have that real data in real time and they can eat foods that they like that their body does well with, right? I'm, th I'm trying to think of like the most practical application of this. Like, when, like, well, why, why would I need to know? Well, you just, you just said that 88%, 90 million, like 90% of 90 million are pre-diabetic. Like they're going to get it. Uh, they're going to develop it. Uh, mm -hmm. And they don't have any idea. And, and right. part of this is food education, right? They just don't know. They don't. They don't know the right things to eat. They're they're just uneducated or and and, and likely undisciplined as well. But 
when when you can actually track your food through levels, you can actually take the picture of the food, put the food in, and then watch what it does inside your body. Like it's a fucking video game. It's so cool. When you can do that, then you get to learn about where you're at right then and there. You get to know like, oh, mm-hmm. well, steak is pretty good for me. I guess steak steak's a, steak is a good option for where I'm at right now in my life, right? Um, coffee does this. The foods that you like, when you eat those and you can see that they that they keep your blood glucose level pretty pretty consistent, then then you can gravitate towards those food. Obviously, like a bag of Skittles is going to wreck you. Like not mm-hmm. that's kind of that's that's obvious. But for a lot of people, they are they're eating foods that they really have no idea that they're that they're bad for them. They think they're making a healthy choice, a, you know, a rice cake uh, or four rice cakes or mm-hmm. you know, like trail mix, you know, people are making like, "Well, I'm making these smart choices. Yeah, it's got M&Ms in it, but you know, I'm just, you know, it's just and right. and, and the reason I say trail mix is because I knew it was a naughty, it was a naughty, naughty food for me, but I, <laughs> but I saw how naughty it was for me through through using levels. I, that's where it makes sense to people, I think, because then they can make changes. They they can gravitate more towards the food that they like to eat that keeps their blood glucose pretty flat, and then they can mm-hmm. begin to train themselves away from the foods that they were sort of not clear on that are that yep. are screwing them consistently. Uh, in- increasing their blood glucose into that pre-diabetic and diabetic range. Uh, exactly. for, for, for me, you know, uh, I think about people close to me in my life and I think about how, um, how uneducated they are about their own bodies. And I, and I think about how unclear, I don't know if this is from, you know, sounds familiar to you, but there's certainly people in my own family that, that don't, that don't make smart choices for themselves and are not, you know, biohackery like really good interoception like like my like you you and I who are like pretty aware of what's going on in our bodies and that for me it is not an exaggeration to say that this might actually be one of the more important um uh, businesses one of the more important trackables one of the most important wearables mm-hmm. like in the last what 10 20 50 years like you're 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 sitting at the driver's seat of this of this company like am i overstating that well i i don't think so and unfortunately i think it's because we have gone so far off the rails without any guidance it's so unclear to people um that there is a problem today which is staggering because the problem is an epidemic metabolic dysfunction is an epidemic both here in the United States and in every developing country around the world. And um, the the numbers are are really wild and they're increasing at an increasing rate globally. So right now, you know, in the United States, type 2 diabetes costs $327 billion in that's just like production loss. It's just loss of, of output, right? And that's just a way to, to try to understand how large the problem is. But it's predicted to reach over $600 billion in lost productivity by 2030. And those, when those 90 million Americans convert into type 2 diabetes because they don't have better information, it's going to dramatically decrease the likelihood that we as a society will be able to ha- live these, um, you know, sort of the healthy, independent lives that we imagine we will live when we're older. And we're creating a society that is aging into um, dependence and it's it's overburdening the healthcare system. And when you get hit with something like COVID, for example, which has 
asymmetric outcomes for people with metabolic dysfunction, it even further amplifies what we're experiencing as a society. So we are seeing right now the effects of a metabolically dysfunctional society. And so I would say that, that yes, be, because right now there is so much confusion about what I should do to become healthier. What, what do I eat? I mean, we can't answer that question without a PhD in, in metabolism and physiology and nutrition. And so Levels is here to answer that question without the need for a PhD. It's, it's so that you can sit down and you can eat a food and you can see how your body responds. And then the next day you can eat a different food and you can see how your body responds. And through very simple trial and error, you can get to a personalized approach to living that is based on your own objective biometric data. And I think in that sense, it is, uh, it, it has very large implications for the future. And I'm, I'm optimistic for, uh, the the potential for this product to not just not just help to reverse metabolic dysfunction but eventually get us to a society where there is no chronic illness where chronic illness which is caused by lifestyle decisions the cdc the cdc basically says that 120 million americans are living with preventable chronic chronic illness that is is simply the result of uh, lifestyle choices and if different lifestyle choices were made these illnesses would not exist so i, I look to the future and, and think about uh, a world where we do not have chronic illness and instead everyone is focused on optimal and we are focusing the healthcare system on the truly complex dis disorders that are not caused or diseases that are not caused by by choices uh, things like cancer right that that we we still haven't gotten to the bottom of mm -hmm. and um, and so that's what I'm hopeful for is that we can uh, really by putting the control into the hands of the individual the insight and the ability to make better choices right into the hands of the individual who needs to make them. We can decentralize this problem and basically break it down into bite-sized chunks, no pun intended, and, and uh, you know, turn things around at a social scale. And um, yeah, I'm very excited to be working on it and grateful to be, to be able to have the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, but before it's too late, before you're in that diab before you have diabetes, before you got the diabetes and you made choices <laughs> and now you got to live with them, um, oh, and here's your continuous glucose monitor to show you exactly. Instead, mm -hmm. why don't you get it 10 years ahead of time, right? Why don't you get your hands on it now so that you can begin to modify your choices? Um, I would love to talk a little bit about how it works. Um, and I could describe it a little bit. Um, this is really, I don't, to, in a full disclosure, I don't love tracking things. I'll be totally honest. Like I don't have an aura ring or a whoop strap. I don't have a, mm. I don't have a, uh, an eye, an Apple watch, you know, I'm kind of paranoid about EMFs. <laughs> mm. uh, uh, I don't want to be constantly pinging my phone all day, every day with a wearable. So like I've stayed away from, from a lot of these, these, um, these wearables, uh, for tracking, you know, specific biometrics. Um, I understand that they're massively impactful, but mm -hmm. also, um, uh, it just hasn't been my thing. So for me, it was a little bit out of my comfort zone to be taking pictures of every meal that I ate. It was it, it just because, but a lot of people do that anyway, fucking post it on Instagram, yeah. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like <laughs> here's my bowl of pasta and here's my sub sandwich. Like I, I, I don't, that's not my thing. So, so for me, it was kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone to actually take pictures of everything and, and to, uh, while I'm eating it before it goes in my mouth to take pictures. But that's just the beginning. The beginning is, is to track the, mm -hmm. the, the watching, watching it, you know, making sure that it's synced up to the, um, to your arm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more above and beyond, 
you know, tracking the food with a photo and explaining what it is and then watching that, that little, you know, that, that line go up and down or stay flat in some cases, if you're being a good boy or a good girl. But can you tell us about some of the other features that are also built into the interface that, that, that people might be surprised by? Yeah. So levels takes uh, raw data from these wearables, the continuous glucose monitors and, uh, uh, so that raw data, it comes out of the sensor. And it's just a number. It says um, you're at 85, right? And so that is interesting information to know what your blood sugar level is at. But the question is, why is my blood sugar there and what should I do about it? And so that's what Levels is is seeking to to educate people on is your glucose levels are here and they were there. And the reasons are these. So you eat a meal, right? You take a picture of it. And you, your uh, levels then analyzes the way your body responds to that meal. So over the next two hours, as your blood sugar responds, and this might be a very fast-acting carbohydrate-filled meal, and your blood sugar may shoot through the, through the roof uh, and come crashing back down, or it might be a really nicely balanced meal with good proportions of carbohydrates and fat and protein, and your blood sugar may uh, nicely sort of increase and remain steady and then come back down without a major elevation. And so seeing how those two things affect you is, um, is a very visual process, but there's a lot of little micro variables. So the, the rate of change, the time that it stays elevated, how many oscillations, the spikes and crashes, this is called variability. All of these submetrics are very hard to figure out. And so um, we, we use these backend processing algorithms to basically score the effect of your lifestyle choice. So if that was a meal, we can give you a score out of 10 um, telling you how much that that meal contributes to metabolic control um, and then you can start to pair together uh, decisions and so these are called zones of activity and so if you eat a meal let's say you have an ice cream cone if you have an ice cream cone and you're sitting on the couch uh, you log that in levels and we'll see how your body responds to it while you're just sitting there you're not using any energy and then you have the same ice cream cone and you go for a walk around the block and or maybe you go for a 30 minute walk you're, you, you grab ice cream on a walk and so you're you're constantly moving. Your muscles, the largest muscles in your body, your legs, are uh, are basically contracting as you're walking and pulling gl- glucose in to power that movement. And so your body then responds differently to the ice cream you're eating because it's being uh, modified by the activity, the walk. And so you can use activity data. And I, I know you don't wear a, a, a wearable, but uh, for example, I, I wear a Garmin and a, and a Whoop band. And so my activity, the walk is detected and it's imported automatically into levels. And then my, uh, my ice cream cone that I logged also has a walking activity attached to it. So basically levels now interprets your blood sugar response and gives you a different score with the walk appended onto it. So you can compare directly ice cream on its own on the couch versus ice cream with a walk. And I can see now the implications of movement, just simple movement. Uh, can help my body process the meals that I'm eating uh, significantly. And this is one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that the, the power of simple movement to improve yeah. my body's response to, to indulgent meals. Um, and now we're, we're introducing sleep data. And so the same thing, you know, you can see how, for example, uh, you know, a Chipotle meal, when you just get off the, the, the plane after a red eye, how that affects you when you've had almost no sleep, you've been up all night, um, stressed out, you know, you've had a time change to deal with versus a Chipotle meal, uh, after you, you've been well rested and you've gotten your exercise in, in the morning and you've got a full eight hours of sleep under your belt. And you can see the way that the acute insulin resistance that sets in after a short night of sleep, just a single night of sleep 
affects your body's ability to metabolize foods that you otherwise have no issues with. And so connecting these dots and helping people realize that basically every choice that we make, the way it affects our bodies is contextual. It, it matters how well rested you are, what your body composition is. Uh, some, of, some of it is genetic, some of it is microbiome, but each of these decisions we make is impacted by the other decisions we're making in real time. And so you can start to see how all of this links together into a lifestyle, right? It's not just you don't, we don't make choices in a vacuum. Every choice we make will affect other choices we're about to make. And so Levels brings all of that together. It unleashes the algorithmic methods of, of, anal of analyzing our blood sugar response to take a lot of the cognitive burn, burden away and then just give you scores and grades for, um, you know, which choices work well for you and which choices you, you could improve upon. Yeah. I mean, it's like having a, it's like having a doctor in your pocket uh, or, or a nutritionist in your pocket that says, Oh, Hey, sure. well, I mean, the, looking at those emails that, that you get, it's like, Oh, you, you kind of remember you look back mm -hmm. and you look at the data and then it's, and it's super actionable. And I think the, I think I assume one of the hardest parts is making, keeping it simple for people. Um, you know, just like, here's what you need to know. Here's the data. Um, mm -hmm. here's some advice on it. Um, I, I, I found the process to be super, uh, smooth and, and, and obvious and, and really useful. Awesome. You know, I, it was, um, it was, yeah, I, I mean, again, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about, about my experience in a little bit, but what, what else, what I'm also curious about. So do you have, are you wearing one right now? Yep. I've been wearing almost continuously for about three years. Now. I was going to say, yeah. Any, <laughs> is there any like downside or risk to that? I have come across no downsides yet. It's it's to the point where I think the hardware is so um, it's so convenient. It's such a small form factor, and we have these performance covers that help keep it adhered to the body. And I kind of have a sixth sense now for the sensor on my arm, and I, I don't uh, I don't bump it into things very often or anything like that. And so I, I live a fairly active lifestyle. I'm a CrossFit trainer. I, um, I I like to to exercise and swim and you know take showers every day. And so the fact that I can wear this hardware continuously for three years um, and it has not impacted my lifestyle negatively whatsoever and instead has been the number one accountability tool that I've ever had in my life by far. Um, and it is, it's really powerful. So the, you know, I'm not a very, I don't have high motivation. You know, I mentioned at the very beginning that, uh, my dreams used to be filled with candy and, uh, and desserts. That is true. I mean, I've had a sweet tooth my entire life and, um, all the way through college, you know, I would, because again, I, I wasn't gaining weight. I would polish off very large quantities of, of sugary foods all the time. I had a bag of Skittles with me in my truck everywhere I went when I was in high school and college. And, um, you know, I got to this point where it was, there was no meal without dessert. And since starting with CGM, I, I don't eat dessert and I certainly, I have not touched candy or any sort of like extremely over the top sugary food, um, in, in three years. And the reason for that is that that data is right there and I cannot, mm -hmm. it, it's something you can't cheat. So this mechanism, you know, you can, I don't know how people inter interact with nutritionists, but you can certainly omit the fact that you had a, you know, a bag of candy, Yeah. but you cannot omit that fact when you're wearing a CGM, <laughs> that number is going to appear and that spike is going to stare you down. And, uh, whether you logged it or not, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that you did damage to your body in that time. Um, and so that, that to me is an extremely profound accountability measurement for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't hide, you can't hide, you know, if, yeah. you, had, if you had a piece of cake at the birthday party, you're, yeah, you can't, can't lie to the, to the glucose monitor that's, mm. that's, that's in your arm. Well, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, um, how, how you think this, this works for performance. Um, 
you know, this is the optimal performance podcast. So, you know, of course we need to, of course we need to, to, to know, to know what our blood sugar is doing. We need to know our blood glucose levels, but, but when it comes to sort of lifestyle design and and keeping keeping that number in a specific range that's custom to us and how that equates to you know our our level of activity you know for a guy like you that's that's really active um what what have you learned by watching um watching levels um during you know, crossfit exercises or after crossfit mm-hmm. exercises anything like surprised you well, it's it's really surprising to see. Well, it's fascinating to watch the body do its thing. So, um, basically, we have kind of two modes of exercise. It seems, and we call those aerobic and anaerobic. But uh, and that's kind of like abstract. But the reality is, just you you kind of have strenuous, intense exercise, and then you have uh, less intense exercise. I guess is how you would describe it. But basically, when you're when when I'm doing a really intense CrossFit workout, like all out PR, um, lifting heavy weights, sprinting really fast. 10, 15 minutes, uh, my body is releasing not just cortisol, the, the stress hormone, but also adrenaline. So epinephrine, which is, uh, the, you know, an extreme fight or flight hormone. And, and that, uh, those hormones tell my body I'm under extreme stress and I need energy to escape this scenario or to, you know, to escape the lion or whatever evolutionary, you know, mechanism that, uh, started at all. And, and so my liver starts to crank out huge amounts of glucose. So I haven't eaten anything. But it takes stored glucose, which is called glycogen, and then it also takes um, fat and protein. And through a process called gluconeogenesis, it can start to produce more glucose right out of the liver fast. And so what I actually see in these intense workouts is my blood sugar goes through the roof. I, ha- I may not have eaten anything, but I, I mean, I can exceed 200 milligrams per, de- per deciliter, which would be, if it was a meal response, it would be considered a diabetic blood sugar. Um, and so that process uh, is, it is a designed mechanism to allow us to push through very challenging physical strenuous uh, circumstances it's completely different by the way from a meal because your, your body's not responding to you know an acute increase in blood sugar from the outside which it then has to either store in the muscles if you have capacity or as fat you know it's very different it's taking your the building blocks available and producing energy in in the moment so that's one thing and then the other side of the coin the the aerobic side is, uh, you know, I'll jump on the bike and I'll go for, let's say a two hour bike ride. And if I'm fasted, my blood sugar will just steadily decrease all the way. It will continue to decrease down to about 55 or 60 milligrams per deciliter, which is where I start to feel symptomatic. So I'll start to feel lightheaded. I'll start to feel a little shaky, a little cold sweat. And, um, so this is the opposite response to what happens when I'm doing the very high intensity exercise with, with stress hormones being released. And so it's in that second category where my body is using stored glycogen for that bike ride, but it's not, uh, so stressed out that it starts producing new glucose rapidly. And so that's where fueling timing is really important. And where also uh, a concept like metabolic flexibility, which is the body's ability to kick over from. Uh, let's say stored glycogen to stored fat in order uh, to power the workout. So metabolic flexibility is this idea that you can increase your body's efficiency at metabolizing fat from your body and uh, reduce the dependence on uh, sort of in-exercise fueling like Gatorades or gels or bananas and such. And and so there are people like Anthony Kunkel, for example. He's a, he's a runner, lives in Colorado, and he's been doing uh, like 100-mile ultramarathons for a long time. 
And his whole thing is maximizing fat oxidation so that he can basically reduce the amount of fuel he has to take on. And so the human body, you know, you've got about 2000 calories of glycogen or stored glucose available on the average human. And you have over 80,000 calories of fat on that same frame. Um, and this is like 10, 15% body fat on a person who weighs around 160 pounds. So that, that sort of energy availability is typically, uh, we we're all, we're often just using the sugar and we're then fueling up for the exercise, you know, in real time. And the concept of metabolic flexibility is take that data, uh, experiment with higher fat consumption so that your body is tuned to burning fat and then experiment with fasted exercise so that your body is tuned to, uh, you know, deplete the glycogen stores and start turning your body fat stores into energy for, for the endeavor. Um, so this is like, it's all very nascent. It's pretty new, but there's a ton of potential here to improve both the anaerobic, like high intensity exercise. So the fuel, the fueling needs there are pretty minimal because your body will produce all the glucose you need in real time. And then also the aerobic side of things, which is learn how to time your, your intake of calories such that you are not causing unnecessary instability and not over fueling or under fueling and potentially bonking. So it's, it's a very, it's sort of like a very different s sort of category of problems to solve in each of the aerobic and anaerobic segments. But tons of potential for real-time data to to really help us understand what's happening in the body and and how to optimize it so have you does that mean that you've kind of dialed in your pre-workout fasting or consumption protocols like do you know exactly which meal at what time gives you the best results I, I wish I could say that I had, but I have a long way to go myself. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's funny. We have um, one of my good friends uh, on the levels team. Uh, we go way, way back to my college days. Uh, so he and I are uh, constantly battling over um, over fasted workout data and, and trying to get to the point where each of us is more metabolically flexible than the other. But he is absolutely crushing me. I mean, right now, I think last weekend he did a fasted marathon. So he, he fasted all night long, got up after, uh, I think it had been something like 14 hours since he had eaten and cranked out a marathon with no calories. And his blood sugar was rock solid. I mean, it, it, it slowly decreased, but it was not, it, it, it was nowhere near the, the sort of symptomatic range where he would start to feel discomfort um, or affect his performance. Now, I, on the other hand, just a few miles into a run at the same pace, I will hit the wall. And so I, I will essentially bonk and, and experience all of those symptoms. And uh, so I definitely have improved that through fasted exercise, but it's a process that, you know, he's well ahead of me on. And so I, I feel a lot of frustration about it, but I do know that like the process, you know, is, is the way. So I need to continue putting the work in yeah. and, um, <laughs> but it's really cool to see the, the payout from, you know, when you do get that first 20, 30 mile bike ride in after 18 hours of fasting and your blood sugar is stable, it's an awareness that, uh, I have improved my body's ability to produce the energy it needs without any sort of external necessities. And it's, it's pretty cool to see that, that like receipt for it in the data. Yeah. Right. Right. I know. I know how I did. I'm not guessing uh, that, mm -hmm. that, that, that little cold sweat wasn't actually a cold sweat. You know, if the guy in the bike in front of me, you know, spit or something, <laughs> I, I, I know that, that my, that I was, that I was steady throughout the whole race. I, I you know, I try to, I, I begin to think about, you know, pro football players and basketball players and soccer players that, and, and how, what the application for those guys is. I, I still think that, that nutrition is screwy, even at the highest levels. When you see, you know, you see what some, you know, elite athletes eat 
Um, it's, it's, it's almost all the time that you see somebody like, Oh yeah, it's like no big deal. I've just been eating McDonald's since I played high school football. And that's what still what my pregame meal is. And these guys are, you know, rushing for, you know, 120 yards in a game. Uh, and I'm still, uh, it's staggering because if they, if they, if they made it just a couple of changes, if they knew like, okay, yeah. uh, that, that, that drive through trip, two, three hours before the game that you think is, is just because you've been doing it for a long time. You think it's working for you, but it's really not. And, and, right. and here's the data. Yeah. And some of the interesting other lessons around this are, well, first of all, um, mistiming a big indulgent meal, you know, you're, you're about to go work out. And so thinking, oh, I'm going to have this, a banana is a great example. People think that a banana is an, an ideal pre-workout. Um, so I'm gonna have this banana and then I'll get to the gym in 45 minutes and I'll crank out my workout with plenty of energy. Well, what I see is if I eat that banana, my blood sugar, I'm super, super sensitive to bananas. My blood sugar will, will skyrocket into the, the pre-diabetic range. It will then, my body then says, blood sugar is out of control, need to release a ton of insulin and get this glucose out of the blood immediately. And we're talking about 20 minutes later. So my blood sugar has spiked and then I get a huge insulin crash. So my body releases a ton of insulin, my blood sugar crashes and that takes another 20 minutes. So I'm walking into the gym 40 minutes after I eat that banana and my blood sugar has now crashed to below the starting point. Ah. And it's not that I am all fueled up and ready to go. It's that, that all of that blood or all that blood sugar has now been pulled out by the insulin release into my my muscles and into my body fat stores. So I've done the exact opposite of the intention, which is to make energy available. And I had that spike and crash, which often for me, I experienced that reactive hypoglycemia, which is that crash uh, as shakiness and hunger and discomfort. And so I have now learned that timing is crucial. And and for people like your, you know, your football example, if you're stopping and, you know, eating a big happy meal or a big fast food, you know, blowout meal, uh, you know, an hour or so before the gym so that you feel you know, the, the stomach fullness goes away in time for the workout. Well, your blood sugar just went for a crazy ride. And we've yeah. seen tons of this data around fast food. Um, it is one of the worst offenders, as you can imagine, for a blood sugar response. And that instability, that spike and crash, what it's doing to your hormonal environment is not setting you up for optimal performance walking into the gym to have a huge amount of insulin in your blood and no glucose available. So um, seeing that information is really cru crucial. And then also the recovery piece. So Blood sugar elevations, especially very high ones, are inflammatory events. They're, uh, because glucose is a really reactive, reactive molecule, uh, it, it reacts with other cell or, or other tissues and proteins in the, in the blood and, um, and throughout the body. And so when you have very high levels of glucose, you have cell glycation, you have a lot of damage happening in real time. Mm. And uh, so when, when this is happening over and over again, you're basically hitting yourself with waves of inflammation. And this seems to have a, a real close connection to recovery and, and quality of sleep. So you can imagine if athletes are getting off the field and going and eating a, a gigantic indulgent meal to reward themselves for a really hard hard day out there, um, which you can imagine is pretty reasonable, well, that, that may be having really significant downstream effects on their ability to recover and get back on, you know, for practice and get back into the next, uh, the next game. And so, uh, I think that's also going to be a really strong area of focus is not necessarily just the on-field performance, but the recovery and especially the off season, maximizing that time for, uh, you know, improving gains in the off season. I, I think that's going to be a huge area of focus as well. Yeah, I it can, it can I mean it's just more it's more information, more data to help and and when you know 3 to 5% increase in energy uh it can mean the difference between you know 
a championship or not, you know, that, that's, that makes sense that that's where it's going. Yeah. I, I, I was actually really, I was, I was really surprised. I was pleasantly surprised, I guess. And if, in my experience, you know, I eat mostly keto. Um, uh, the, the things that I, that I, that I did notice that I was reminded by was oils. So mm. I eat, um, I eat, I eat mostly keto. I eat a lot of animal protein and I, I you know, I basically eat meat and vegetables, but when I do snack, um, which is from, from time to time, it's usually like gluten-free, like pita chips or gluten-free, mm. uh, pretzels and, uh, um, trail mix and each of those three things have like sunflower and safflower oil so these mm-hmm. like damaged oils and i i naughty boy i know that it's i know that i shouldn't i know that it's not good but that's sort of like the last bastion of of um of foods that are not so good for me that i do mm. eat fairly regularly and what i would what i would notice is um you know when i'm when i'm doing because because i would you know typically coffee in the morning, black coffee in the morning, I'll take supplements. The supplements didn't really screw, screw with my levels. Um, and then a late lunch, you know, intermittent fasting, usually, um, 16, eight. So Mm. when I would break my fast, do a bunch of eggs, you know, it would would slowly come up and then it would slowly come back down and, and kind of go back to, um, you know, my, my average ranges were, you know, like, you know, 110, 115, um, mm. or, or closer to a hundred. Um, but in the afternoon, um, kind of before dinner, when I would grab a handful of like gluten-free pretzels, um, I was, I was reminded ever so obviously that those oils are not good for me and, mm. and it would spike and it took like days and days for me to be like, well, what the hell? Like I can't do the gluten-free pretzels. I can't do the, gluten-free bread um, because they have this other they have these damaged oils in them and I think that that's a major that was a major culprit uh, and a surprise mm. for me the other Do they also have like flowers in them uh, flour uh, uh, like an oat, oat bran or something like that no no they oh, were okay. it's all like tapioca or brown rice flour mm. you know alternative flowers um, so yeah I, so the the brown rice flour will get me pretty pretty good that's that's one that um, on its own is so I, I'm just v- extremely sensitive to carbs generally, but but rice in particular and and processed rices like rice flours are really really hard for me to metabolize effectively. It's a it's a it's like rocket fuel right into the into the veins for me. So ah. uh, that's one that I I've picked up on and and so yeah, it might be interesting to try a different variety that maybe doesn't have the oils and and see if like you're still having a response to the starch in there as well. Yeah. Uh- I, yeah, I, I should do some more research as to what brown rice uh, flour really is. You know, there's like, there's you know, I, 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 there's more digging to do. But 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 sure. may, maybe well, that's a constant was, process. Exactly. No, it's so true. The the things that that were pleasantly surprising. Well, the the other interesting part was um, some vegetables kind of screw with me, like um, uh, cucumbers. Mm. Uh, kill crushed me. Like really. Like for like two or three days in a row. And, and I know that cucumbers are like mostly water. Um, but, uh, yeah, for some reason it was like, it was like three different days in a row. It was like nothing but a cucumber had like half of a cucumber. Um, and it would, and it would shoot up and stay up, which I thought was kind of strange. 
uh, now I'm just like talking to you about all the things that I eat, but, uh, the, the, the thing that I, the, the thing that I was really thankful for was the, uh, I, I like, I like some nice keto friendly wine, some, um, dry farm wine, um, organic wine that doesn't have yep. this, the sulfates and stuff like that. It, it would, it would, it would go up, um, shortly after, but it would come back down pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so I was, I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. And then I take a, um, an amino acid at night for muscle building. Uh, it's called Fortigen, which is developed by, uh, Jquish Biomedical. I don't know if you've heard of the X3 bar, which is, uh, this, mm. it's just the, it's, it's all I do for exercise, but it's this band workout that takes 10 minutes. Um, mm. I, it's all I do and I fucking love it. I absolutely love it. I've had the guy on the podcast three times, Dr. Jquish. He's a friend of mine now. Um, uh, but I would take, you know, I take, I take a scoop of this amino profile that, that converts to, to protein, um, while you sleep. And it was funny to watch my, to watch my blue, uh, my glucose levels like bump up a little bit and then, mm-hmm. and then plummet, like go way down and then stay down most of the night. Um, mm-hmm. I, which kind of brings me to another question. Um, h- how does that work for like, s- for sleep? Um, mm-hmm. Cause, cause there, when I was using the, you know, using the app and like making sure that it's synced up, um, is it, is it, should it be going all the way through the night be tracking like literally 24 seven? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the sleep, um, the, the sensors themselves will store up to eight hours of data on them. Well, there's actually two types of sensors that we can work with. And, uh, one type can store up to eight hours of data between scans and it will transfer all of that when you scan the sensor. Another type will stream data continuously to your phone. Uh, 24-7. And so in both cases, you have data during the night while you're sleeping, which is really interesting because it can show you a a few things. One, it can show the delayed onset or the delayed response from a a very indulgent meal. So a lot of times, pizza is a prime example where it has a ton of fat and a ton of carbohydrates. And the fat actually serves to uh, slow down your digestive process. And so you can eat this big pizza meal uh, and this this is quite personal, so it's very individualized the way that it, that you'll respond. But you can eat a very large pizza meal, for example, uh, say at 10 p.m. or something like that, and the fat will slow down the digestive process, and you'll see a pretty reasonable blood sugar response for you know in some cases up to like two hours, your blood sugar just doesn't really increase. But then you go to bed at you know 11:30 or something like that, and um, you'll see the next morning you wake up and you see that your blood sugar was at 120, 130 all night long for, mm. you know, three, three, four hours. And so what happens there for, for people who are experiencing this is, yeah, the, the fat sort of digestively restricts the, the meal breakdown and then the carbohydrates eventually hit your bloodstream. And when they do, they, um, they sort of stay elevated for a long period of time. And some of this could be even ad- additional insulin resistance from the saturated fat. So it can, it can even complicate things even more, but, uh, you wouldn't know that. And then you wouldn't potentially see the way that that, uh, glucose elevation may have caused, uh, complications with sleep. So I always see when I, when I have unstable, you know, if I have an indulgent meal and my blood sugar is all over the place all night long, invariably my sleep is terrible. Mm -hmm. And I posted something about this on Twitter a few days ago, but you know, I had a prime example where I had like six or eight spikes throughout the night. I had, you know, I'd been snacking late at night. I had, um, definitely had dessert and my recovery score for whoop was like 19%. And I was just dragging the next day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hadn't had alcohol, which is often the number one uh, factor in poor sleep for me. So this was an entirely, or at least, um, primarily, I think driven by this blood sugar instability and the way my body is like constantly 
you know, dealing with essentially energetically dealing with these blood sugar spikes and, and it's not able, my body's not able to drop, drop into deep restful sleep because of these blood sugar elevations, which are inflammatory and require hormone production to take care of. So, um, that type of insight is really powerful. There's also some pretty fascinating stuff going on where we'll often see people have, um, blood sugar dips fairly low throughout the night. And um, there's some very basic research. It's, it's pretty early on, but the, there is a study that showed that uh, people without diabetes can have blood sugar drops in uh, sync with REM sleep. So during your REM sleep stages, uh, your brain, it seems, I think the theory is that your brain is very active. So it, you've got a ton of activity going on in the brain during that time, and your brain's energy consumption may be going up. But because you're sleeping, your body will not produce more glucose because your overall energy needs are lower. So you'll have this situation where during sleep cycles, you'll actually see blood sugar dip when you're in REM and then it'll come back up and stabilize again and then you'll drop into REM again and it'll dip again and come back up. And so these really fascinating patterns that are emerging, and again, the science is very new, but um, that type of insight is, I think, really powerful so that we can start to get even richer data about the quality of our sleep the way we may be interfering. I mean, it's possible that if you're causing huge blood sugar elevations throughout the night, maybe you can't experience REM sleep while that's happening. So you might be stunting your ability to sleep deeply because of the way that you're eating. Um, and so that connection, I think, is, is really going to bear some fruit for the sleep, you know, sleep studies that are, that are ongoing now that we can have CGM data. Wow. Oh, that's very cool. You know, now that I think back to the data, I, I think I saw that quite a lot during, during my sleep, during my sleep cycles. Mm. And of course I'm not, I'm not tracking it with an aura ring. So I don't really know what phases of sleep I was in, but sure. yeah, I, I would wake up in the morning and look at the data and see a lot of, a lot of little spikes. Um, mm -hmm. wow, man, that, I mean, that's huge. Uh, so how many different other wearables connect, uh, oh, I, sorry for not using the right terminology, but what other sort of wearables connect and, and sync up? What's the term? So um, we have integrations with with other wearables, and we, we use integration, yeah. Um, but syncing is, but is another the, one. What's the? Is it like an R? It's like an RSR and SRR. What's that? Um, for it's like well, an, we for APIs. APIs. Yep, yep. API integration. Um, so we we don't have direct API integrations with other wearables at the moment. Uh, we're talking to a couple of the great brands, and you know we love Aura, we love Whoop, uh, Eight Sleep. It produces an, an awesome mattress which uh, has thermoregulation, so it can help your body temperature. Be, it can help maintain your body temperature throughout the night and track sleep data, so on HRV and uh, other sleep metrics. So very cool product there, and and so all of these are really fascinating. But what we want to do is make sure that we're maximizing the usefulness of the data. So right now we integrate with Apple Health and Google Fit, and so. These are the two hubs on the phone that pull in activity data and sleep data. And so we then ingest that data into levels and we can use it to, um, you know, again, to generate scores and help um, you better understand the way that your lifestyle factors are all coming together. Now, we, we do want to, you know, we want to we want to definitely integrate with um, products that are producing data that is very actionable. And, and that's our number one, uh, I think, focus right now. So. At the moment, nothing direct, but we are exploring some preliminary integrations with um, other direct device manufacturers. I, I imagine it's just a matter of time before everybody wants to play with you. <laughs> I, I mean, I really, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's um, for sure. You know, CGM data, uh, here's the thing is that 
historically we we have had these wearables like Fitbit, um, you know, came out and, and added step counting and it was going to change the world. And I think it, it actually has, you know, all of these wearables that are counting our steps and, uh, you know, measuring our heart rate for activity and then measuring our heart rate variability for sleep quality. All of these are really making an impact. People are focusing more on the quality of sleep and the consistency of their exercise than ever before. And so we might not have seen some world shattering development from, from them yet. You know, we're like, everybody's a, a fitness model, but we are seeing, I think the, some focus and people are caring about these things. CGM goes a step further. So, you know, I, I don't, this, and this is not intended to be, um, controversial at all, but the metrics that existing wearables measure are fairly superficial where, you know, I can measure my pulse with my finger. I can count my own steps, for example, or my phone does it for me. But, um, you know, with the exception of heart rate variability, it's fairly superficial. The CGM is the first device that goes below skin deep. And it, it is now measuring a molecule in real time that is circulating through your bloodstream. And that's a, it's a paradigm shift. You know, we're taking, uh, we're, we're going to a place where we otherwise would have no insight. Um, you know, I can roughly tell where my heart rate is at without even putting my finger on my wrist. Yeah, I can just tell, I can feel my heart beating, but I have no data whatsoever. There's oftentimes no symptoms at all for blood sugar level. Um, if it's very, very low, like hypoglycemic, you might feel some symptoms, but it's often completely asymptomatic to be in a very high blood sugar range. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've had no context for this and we've been making choices based on emotion and, uh, you know, taste and all these other things. And so now we're, we're really bringing objective data to the one area that we have never had data before, including all the wearables that exist. And so this new bio wearable trend, it's going to lead to additional analytes. We'll be able to measure real time, not just glucose, but I think hormones, I think we'll be able to measure lactate and ketones and potentially some other really interesting like triglycerides free fatty acids, hopefully cortisol and insulin. And it's going to, it's going to change our relationship both with our own bodies and our own lifestyles, but also with, um, you know, our doctors, for example, uh, our, our nutritionists, our coaches, um, we will now, they will be able to give those experts will be able to give more personalized insight into the individual because they'll have this massive backlog of data showing them how this person is living and how their bodies are responding to those lifestyle choices. So I do think that it's a, it's a, it's a real paradigm shift for, uh, for health generally. Did I hear you correctly that, that those are the other things that this may be able to track sometime in the future, cortisol levels and someday in the future. Yeah. You wow. know, I, I can't, the, the hormones are the hardest for sure. The cortisol and insulin to, yeah. to measure those directly. So uh, I'm hopeful that somebody's going to be able to crack that code, but certainly we'll be able to measure other, um, other molecules that, uh, dissolve in water and come, you know, into the interstitial fluid, which is the, the, um, that's the fluid that is in between the skin cells that, uh, we're measuring glucose in. Um, so those, yeah, those types of molecules, I think will, from what I understand of, of the space, they will be possible, you know, in a, in a similar form factor to the CGM that we are using today. And, and so, you know, I can see a future where you have a, a multi analyte monitor that is measuring a bunch of things simultaneously. And that can really tell you specifically, not just what your glucose is at, but you know, where is your energy coming from? Is it coming from sugar? Is it coming from fat? If you're fasted, you can tell whether you're like basically running on your body fat stores or running on glycogen, how much time you have left before you'll have to kick over to fat stores mm -hmm. and all of this really fascinating, you know, information that can turn you into a, you know, I think a real high performing uh, optimized athlete. Dude, or, or, you know, if you're not an athlete, it can just help you perform at work or, you know, at home with, with your family, helping, you know, yeah. us understand the connection between not just physical performance and metabolic health, 
but mental performance and metabolic health is another really key area. Um, you know, it's like I said, Alzheimer's is being called type three dementia or type three diabetes. And, uh, the reason for that is that it's brain insulin resistance. So it's when your tissue can, can no longer effectively use, uh, glucose for energy because it is insulin resistant. And, um, so there are plenty of studies that show not just that, that dementia link, but also links to things like memory degradation and, um, you know, basically cognitive function are directly tied to the ability to metabolize effectively. So your insulin sensitivity, um, it's, it's all, you know, again, very new, but really well, I think well demonstrated in the research just today. And obviously as we get more data and have more people caring about this stuff, we'll, we'll be able to even sharpen the pencil further. Incredible. Totally incredible. I mean, that, that, the, I mean, if you were able to like predict, you know, a cardiac event, if you're able to predict based on these trends, you know, uh, all of these different variables, what's the perfect storm, uh, for, you know, a cardiac event or, or a seizure. Um, and, and if you're able to track that and have some sort of alert happen on your phone, um, that's like, Hey, you're about to crash hard and it's not going to be good predictive i mean like that's really insane wow awesome so cool yeah you know uh it's it's incredible work and and i um you know i i i'm i'm, I'm with it and and i know that the that the company has um has become really popular what's the way so when it was first the waiting list was like twenty five thousand. And then I talked to uh, to Dr. Casey and she said it was going to it was like 30. What is it now? I think it's at 43,000 right now. <laughs> so, there's a there's a wait list of 43,000 people that are trying to get in this and um you're on to something, Josh. You got to <laughs> It's like proof. You got a little yeah. proof going. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we're still in uh, invitation only beta right now just trying to maximize our understanding of how the product is coming across for people. How well, how is this helping people make concrete, sustainable behavior change? Because that's the end goal. We don't, we don't want it to be a toy. We don't want it to be something interesting alone. It has to be something that is improving lives. And so that's, that's why we're in the invitation only phase is we're able to maximize communication with each person and, and really get feedback uh, in, in, on ways to improve. And, you know, we will be, um, expanding the beta with time. And so, uh, we're, we're hopeful the wait list, you know, I am blown away. I did not anticipate that we would have 43,000 people on the wait list. We anticipated that the wait list would be like a way to just get people into the beta. You know, we'd kind of bring everyone in, but unfortunately we, we haven't been able to keep up. And, um, and so we, we, we really want to get there. We will get, continue to expand and, um, I just appreciate everyone who's who's helped contribute to the process thus far, and um, I, I can assure everyone else who's looking to get in that that we'll be opening up capacity as quickly as we possibly can. Awesome, that's so cool. Uh, so the last question that I ask on uh, for each of my guests, you know, and for for a guy like you who's into lots of different things, and you know, worked at SpaceX and started companies and is a CrossFit instructor. Um, this is a fill in the blank question. This can be based on anything that you know of any, any sort of experience. And it's meant to be broad and, and catch you off guard a little bit. So feel free to expand as little or as, or as much as you'd like, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. Hmm. I could go kind of two directions with this one, but I think everyone would benefit from knowing, uh, their body better. And, um, you know, I, I don't strictly want to, to take that approach, but, I think everyone would benefit from knowing specifically how easy it is to improve the way your body functions. And it doesn't have to be something um, 
you know, world changing for you. It's as simple as uh, a little bit of movement here and there, uh, taking two to three minutes to close your eyes and breathe deeply and lower your stress levels, taking uh, 25 minutes to walk around the block and, and just see the neighborhood and uh, specifically after meals. Um, those types of very simple micro improvements make a massive change and um, they really define the difference between, in my, in my understanding of, of the data that we've seen so far, uh, people who are metabolically fit and people who are not. It, it's very small differences. It's not, you don't have to be an elite athlete to be healthy metabolically. And um, so so finding the time to just um, indulge in a little bit of uh, movement or a, a few minutes of meditation or breathing or, or just kind of turning off the, the TV just a bit earlier and getting a little a little more sleep can really improve not just that day, but the next day. And the, that next day can then, because your environment is improved, can then improve the day following. And, and it, it's got this domino effect where very small improvements cascade. So I think if people just knew how much easier it is to, to get on track, so to speak, mm. uh, they, would, they would do so. Um, you know, I'm not somebody who says you have to go be a CrossFit you know, member and throw weights around and run in marathons to, to be healthy. It's, it's just not true. And I've, I've now since seen the, the, the best quality, um, improvements are made in the in-between time in uh, time when you would otherwise sit down and open Facebook, like just taking a walk and opening Facebook can, can really make a difference. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, I think that's kind of where I want to go with it is just, um, yeah, the bar is quite low to, to make really meaningful improvement. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a very unique answer. That's I really appreciate that. That's great. Um, well, this has been super eye-opening. Um, getlevels.com is where they can, right? Is that right? So levelshealth.com. Levelshealth. Levelshealth.com. And check it out. Yeah, ch- check out the blog for sure. I think that's, that is the... I'm super proud of it. Dr. Casey, who you mentioned, who's been on your show, she uh, she has been managing all of the content we've produced on the blog, and um, she's the quality is exceptional. It, it really, if you if you want to understand metabolism and specifically metabolic fitness and what it means for for everyone, no matter what your goals are, the blog is a great place to learn about it. And um, and then follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Levels. Josh Clementi, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you, Sean. It was great. And scene. That was great.